Hallelujah. It's good to see everybody this morning. Hallelujah. Man, what a time of worship. Wasn't that wonderful? Just to spend some time alone with God right where you're at. Even though we're in a room full of believers or people that are here to hear about the Word of God, that we can be alone with God in, in, in right where we're at. Uh, you know, there's, there's been a lot of wonderful things that have happened this week, I know, in your life. But, you know, we had a, a team go over to Honduras and, and they are back. Uh, the ones that are here today, would you stand? Let's give them a hand. They, they have done a great job, and let me tell you, next Sunday morning, we're going to give them an opportunity to share and, and you know, just kind of express kind of the, what they went through and some of the miracles that they saw, and, and you know what, it, it's amazing that, uh, that they were on a flight, really, they had so much adventure, and, and Gwen and I and Michelle and Chris had gone last year, but th- they experienced everything and more that we did on top of having really a crisis that happened just the last couple days, which was a a kind of a a, um, protest against the government where uh, somebody said, do you hear the fireworks? Is that 4th of July here in Hunter? They said, no, those are guns going off. And so they blocked the road. They couldn't get back to the the place where they were staying. and, And they had to... Uh, take a different route and and even shuttle them in through a smaller vehicle so that they could get back. Let me tell you, and and then yesterday they had to get to the airport. They got up most mornings at 5 o'clock and uh, they had to uh, get up one day at 7 and Gwen said it felt like sleeping in, you know. And, uh, you know, for them to have to get to the airport even earlier, some of them had to get up at 4 o'clock yesterday to get to the airport before the airport pretty much opened up and then they traveled to Miami and they had layover and they got home their their uh, flight got uh, delayed a couple times and they got home about uh, 10 15 last night to the airport so they most of them probably didn't get to bed until after midnight and they're here this morning you know but but do you expect anything less from world changers huh they, they did a great job, and I, I can't wait to hear uh, just, just some of the fascinating things. You know, uh, Heath was telling me that May and him had helped wash children's hair, and, and this lady had brought her daughter that she had been waiting for like three months for a, a brigade, which was the, the medical brigade that we brought, you know, the group. We provide medicine and we took the medicine. And he said, it's just hard to imagine that she's been waiting for three months for the brigade because her children had lice. And Gwen said, I was in a spot, she said, and I was watching Heath as he was washing this little girl's hair. And as a mother, there, there's nothing greater than just watching your children. And, and, you know, for all those that went, we're as a church very, very proud of you and, and thankful. And I know that it has already changed your life and the way that you look at things. And I know that missions trips will do that. Uh, I remember uh, we had a 
team go with their youth group. And I remember John and Aaron was one of the families that went. And when they came back, just like this time, that your eyes are open to just the amazing blessings that we have. You know, after hearing that, one, one thing that John Miller had to do, because I'm in a building process, I didn't, I didn't go this time, and, and I, I'm sitting there at home and feeling a little sorry for myself because I had, I had to do all the cooking this week. Gwen was gone. And I, I cooked a baked potato in the microwave. And I brought it out and it, it wasn't quite done, you know, a little crunchy. And, and I remember, I'm hoping it wasn't the Holy Spirit, but probably was the Holy Spirit that fast forward or rewind all the way back to the day that she had fixed me dinner one time. And I said, baked potato isn't really done. A little, little, little gripe in a little bit, you know. Oh, well, let me put it back in. We'll, we'll warm it. Now, I'm at home by myself. Just heard all these stories from Honduras, and I'm thinking, John, you're a blessed man. Aren't we a blessed people? Amen. Some of you didn't really say that like you mean it. We're a blessed people, amen? Amen. 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 You know... Sometimes we have to realize that the things that we're going through, you know, we have to have boundaries. And, and that's one thing that we're doing on Sunday morning is, as we're in this series, uh, you have to, you got to nourish to flourish. And, and if you've ever seen flowers that are flourishing in this time of the year in Texas, you know something is being able to nourish them to bloom and to be beautiful. You know, some flowers that you just have out in, you know, the flower bed, if you're not watering them or fertilizing them, they're looking pretty poor this time of year because there hasn't been a lot of rain. And, you know, some of us got so excited because we got a little rain this week. Maybe it just passed by for a few seconds. <laughs> and, and you went, Woo! well, that was nice, but it wasn't enough. And some of you were expecting your grass to just to pop and get green, but you were kind of disappointed because there wasn't enough. As we are in this series, you've got to nourish to flourish. Let me tell you that today my message is entitled, The Determinator. I thought that was pretty cool, pretty creative. The Determinator. There's a difference between a believer that wants to flourish and a believer that's going, you know, hey, I'll do what I can and that's all. There's something about Paul that when he came to the Corinthians, he, he made this declaration in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, which he had. He said, he said, I came, I was determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was determined to do something. He had a mission and all that it cost him, he was determined... I am going to see it through. Did you hear that kind of that attitude change there? Sometimes there's people that go through life and they never get that emotional shift where they want to be determined to see something happen in their life, to flourish. 
See, see, as we grow older or as we mature in, in Christ, there's a sense of erosion that takes place if we're not continually being nourished. The, the flourishing starts to be downgraded. We, we begin to see things, you know, kind of like the people that are around us that aren't even believers. Uh, you, you might get into a place where you hear a message about faith as being sure of the things we hope for and certain of the things we do not see. And today you might be in a, in a service where we're preaching, you know, really the beginning of hope. Can I tell you this? If you've been lacking hope in your life, listen, the beginning of hope is just simply saying, God, I believe in you. And God, you're the beginning. You're, you're my beginning. You're going to be my end. God, you are the God of miracles. Now this morning I'm going to be talking about a group of people that got to a place where they just allowed the enemy to be more determined than they were. I want you to see if you'll turn to Joshua chapter 17. You can see this passage because here's what's happening. God has promised the people... His people. The promised land. Now they, they have been waiting for this for years. Their, their ancestors, we know, were scared to go into the promised land because there was giants there. But now a new generation comes up that we know that are saying, you know, Joshua, whatever you say, we're going. Because we're tired of the wilderness. We're going to go into the promise. And God has already worked miracle after miracle, showing them crossing the Jordan River and, and, and Jericho and Bethel and Ai. All the battles that have taken place, it's amazing. God, I want to see a miracle. And God is showing them miracles. But the day that they're supposed to step into the possession that now they've acquired, that God has given them, they begin to go, you know what? It, little, little, little hard. And the discipline, the maturity, the responsibility begins to wane. Now, today we're going to be using the, the tribe of Manasseh. And let me read this. In Joshua chapter 17, it says, Yet the Manassehites, this, this is a group from Joseph. You know, Manasseh and Ephraim are the two tribes split. Really, they're Joseph's sons. Watch this were not able to occupy these towns for the Canaanites were determined to live there in that region. The enemy was determined. You might be the biggest guys on the block, but we're determined that we're going to live right here in the middle of it. That's what the enemy is saying. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subject the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Now, now I want you to hear this because it's a very important part that they put in the Bible for you and me. They did not drive them out completely. Verse 14, the people of Joseph said to Joshua, Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? Can you kind of hear the whining? We are a numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. In other words, we're a group of people that has grown. We're, we're strong. We're blessed. Why haven't we got more? Listen to this. If you are so numerous, Joshua answered, 
And if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear land for yourself. There is the land of the parasites and the Riphites. The people of Joseph replied, The hill country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who live there in the plain have chariots fitted with iron, both those in Beth Shan and settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. Now look at verse 17, because here comes Joshua back. He's the general of this army, God's man. And in verse 17, he says, But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. Just let me say this. They don't even see their identity as who they are. You are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forest hill country as well. Clear it. And its furthest or farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots filled with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. God, this morning, allow this passage of Scripture to come into our lives. Father, we allow the Holy Spirit to have an intervention with us all privately. One, each one, to come to grips where we're at. Allow us, God, to hear your Holy Spirit speak to us. So that, Father, that we can do the things that you've asked us to do. In your wonderful name we pray, amen. You know, as you sat there this morning and as I prepared this message, I put myself in this place as, as, as we sit here this morning, there, there's really, think about it. Some of you that are west of 70 mentally might feel like you're 18. And, and you think, you know what? I, I really mentally, I, I feel young. And maybe our bodies don't, don't act like that or, or seem like that. And some of you that are young, you know, feel like you're west of 70. You know, you're like, oh, I'm just tired. But you know, the day that you received Jesus Christ in your life and He promised you the promises that He has in, your, in His Word for you, there's, a, there's an excitement that you want to flourish. You might have you might have drug all this junk around with you all your life and you realize that you're set free in Jesus Christ and you go, all right, I want to flourish and I want to see things happen in my life. I want God to be God. But th then life happens. You, you, might, you might get in a place where you get a bad report or, or a sickness in your life or, or lose a job or lose a child or get divorced. I don't know. But there's a place where we come and if we're not careful, we just start going, you know what? I think I'll just take a knee for a minute. Just going to rest right here. And a couple minutes turned into a couple weeks, a couple months, years, half a lifetime. And instead of being a, a person that has a testimony of flourishing in their life, through their life, they have a testimony of, well, you know, I've heard it happen. I haven't experienced it. This morning, I want to use these people from Manasseh as an illustration of people who failed to maximize their life and, and why they failed. 
I don't want John Miller or anybody in here to fail in their life. And I want us to see that when we understand the message of faith, when we understand that God can do anything, we, we understand verses and they pop now to Him that is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. What, what's working in us? The Holy Spirit of God lives in us. The power that raised Christ from the dead. Therefore, we get excited and we realize that all those things of life that come along, we might not have been overcomers to this time, but today is a new day that we say, you know what? I'm tired of settling. I'm tired of taking a knee and saying, you know what? I'm too tired. Look at these people that we're going to talk about from Manasseh. The, the first thing that I want us to see, and they're just observations if you read this. The, the first one is the problem of partial possession. They failed to completely possess what God had given them. See, in, in verse 12 it says, the Manassehites were not able to occupy these towns for the Canaanites were determined to live in the region. However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subject the Canaanites in forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Drive them out completely. They did not drive them out completely. The, the promised land was a place, as you can see right here, the tribes had been given each one an allotment of their inheritance. If you can see right in the middle, Manasseh is Manassite. That's the tribe that we're talking about. It's in more of the center of the area. And Ephraim, his really Joseph's son too, they're right in the middle. They have coastline on the Mediterranean. They have all that, but all they can think about is, man, we don't just they don't have enough. They're in the middle of the country, which is also to some extent, a sign of protection. You don't have the border raiding from other countries that are coming in and robbing and stealing. Now, now this morning I want you to look at this. Because the problem with partial possession is the land spoke of the fullness that they had in God. Just like we had the fullness of Jesus Christ. All His promises are yes and amen. When, when you begin to hear all the things that God speaks over your life, you almost sometimes say, that can't be, or, or God doesn't know me. And then you realize, oh yeah, He does. And that's how much He loves you. That's what the land, the promised land spoke of. The Canaanites also is an ex example or an illustration to us that the enemy wants to keep us from living a maximum or fulfilling our potential life that God has created for us. There's something there that, that keeps us back. You know, and if we're not careful, we don't realize that the company that we're keeping is influencing us. Those people would wake up every day and they were in the region of those people of Manasseh. There might be somebody in your life that you realize, I, I just, I don't need that. I heard a story about a pastor that was walking home one night and he, he saw in the town drunk on the side of the road and he thought he might hurt himself getting home. So he helped him up and said, let me take you home. And he walked him to his house and got him to the front door and he said, I think you can take it from here. And the old drunk turned around and he said, do you mind coming in? He says, why would I do that? Why do I need to do that? He says, because I want you to meet my wife so that she knows what kind of company I'm keeping. <laughs> Do 
Do you know what God's plan for Manasseh was? Complete victory. Do you know what God's plan for you is? Complete victory. If you're in life right now and you're going, you know, it just don't feel like it. It's almost like a cloud's over my eyes and I feel like I've been doing things that I shouldn't be doing and I'm seeing things that I shouldn't be hearing things. And let me tell you, that's life. But we're here today to realize it's a new day. The culture that comes around you and gets you influenced is the Canaanites that are living among us. Now watch this. You could say, Pastor John, victory really is impossible then living in a country or in a culture that has all this around me. But the Bible again declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Martin or Douglas MacArthur once said, In war there's no substitute for victory. See, everybody wants to compromise and just get as close as they can to the sin. But God has given us victory to overcome the flesh. And, and really when you think about it, even overcoming the enemy that lives in us if we're not spirit-filled Christians. The enemy comes in and he begins to influence us and begins to speak to us. And pretty soon we begin to side with him. Let me tell you, the Bible declares Satan as an enemy, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. D does anybody have a peace conference with a lion to sit down with him and say, let's talk? No, usually the lion has you or you have him. Partial position. And the question came down to who would be more determined now watch this. I want you just to see the Canaanites they failed to drive out. And who would be most determined. The first ones are the Canaanites they favored. The passage in verse 13 says, However, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subject the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. See, they said to themselves, we'll make slaves of them because now we're stronger than them. And, and, and you know what? We'll have them pay taxes. That's good for us. But they never realized because they welcomed them into their camp the influence that they would have upon them. The question I have for you today is do you have Canaanites that you're showing favor to in your life? There's sometimes there's things that come into our lives that we, you know, we kind of say, this is the way that I survive in the world that I live in. You know, pastor, you don't have to work with the people I do. So my attitude, I know is wrong, but you know what? It's, it's kind of one of those Canaanites that I'm going to show favor to. I'm going to keep it under control when I'm at church and when I'm with godly people. But let me tell you, they're going to see my attitude at work. Canaanite. You know, anger sometimes is a Canaanite that we favor. You know, we say, you know what? My dad had an attitude problem and an anger problem, so you know what? I, I kind of do too. And I, I know that it's it's something that's not right, but I'm gonna keep it. Being critical is another Canaanite. Being lazy is a Canaanite that we favor sometimes. And we say, you know what? If if they're not gonna do it and they're not gonna do it, then I'm not gonna do it either. 
There's things in our life that we know are wrong, but we favor them because it seems like there's a, there's a part of just saying, you know what, it's the way that it is now in life. Until we get to the place where we realize those things in our lives that are not godly need to get out, we will tolerate them. And sometimes we'll have them as a favored sin in our life. It was a family right here in Texas that had an idea that they would raise a pet lion cub. And everybody was amazed and thought, you know, and they said, man, it was, it's just beautiful and it never would harm us because we raised it. Until one night they heard a terrifying sound in the other room. And when they came in, they had realized that that lion that had now grown older and larger had chewed off fingers off of the baby in the baby bed. Now again, this morning, how horrible would that be? And you think, what were you thinking? It was something of just toleration of saying, you know what, nobody, nobody, this, nobody thinks that our pet line is going to hurt us. We tolerate it. Another Canaanite that they failed to drive out was the ones that they feared. It says this, the people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us and all the Canaanites who live there in the plains have chariots filled with iron. Did you see those chariots? They're all over the people. Now realize this is the modern tank, what he's talking about. When you had a heavy chariot, you could roll over the enemy. And sometimes in our life, there's those Canaanites that we fear. We say, you know what? I really can't handle that in my life. But we don't get rid of it either. And there's something about something that we fear. It's embarrassing to allow other people to help us because we're strong. We can do this. And and sometimes when it's embarrassing because of the fear, it's so easy to hide it. Jealousy. Comparing with other people. Again, Canaanites that are living among us that we just don't deal with. We fail to drive that out of our land or out of our lives until finally that influence begins to persuade us. And then it begins to persuade our children because we tolerated it for so long. This morning, you might be in the middle of sin, but let me tell you, as a spirit-filled, blood-bought believer, sin shouldn't have dominion over you. And and if you're right in the middle of that, let me tell you, just confess it and let's go on. Say, God, forgive me of that. Do you realize even the song that we sang, how long and how wide and how deep the love of God is for you? If you could only know that. Partial possession. I want to read this. The second thing that I want us to look at is the problem of pride. And, and it's paralyzing. Paralyzing pride that comes into our lives. 
Let me show you this. In verse 14, it said, The people of Joseph said to Joseph, Why have you given us only one allotment and one portion of our inheritance? We are numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Now, I don't know this, but I wonder if somehow that it kind of maybe got around that Joseph's sons, you know, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim could have said, you know, if it wasn't for my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Joseph, you guys would have probably died in that famine back then. But Joseph, he went to Egypt and all the blessings and we need more. Why haven't you given us more? God has blessed us. Why haven't you blessed us? There's other things that keep us from flourishing. But let me tell you, paralyzing pride will keep you from flourishing more than probably, in my opinion, probably more than anything. Somebody said a closed mind is the hardest thing to open. There's something about pride that can easily get in. If you don't make a decision right today not to walk in pride, you will find yourself in the middle of pride and you'll be saying stuff that you'll say, how in the world did I get here? Sometimes we begin just like that to ask for more. God, give us more. Give us more. Give us more. And I believe God is saying, let me tell you, you take care of what I've given you. What you've already obtained. See, the thing about Paul is here he is, and he is really a, a genius when it comes to theology. He's had personal revelations that he's actually seen, you know, visions and stuff. And, and he's written most of the New Testament. And he started all these churches. And you know, the, the famous verse is to me, is not that I've already obtained this, but the one thing that I know is I forget what's behind me and I press on. I'm continually needing to nourish to get into the Word of God. To forget all those accolades and all the things that are behind me. And I keep pressing forward. You know, last week, we kind of touched on the area of pride, and, and I called them the golden rule, folks. Those are the people that know the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But see, today, in this message, it's almost like we don't realize that the golden rule folks don't do what everybody else does. And that is, we do not, as golden rule, as the God our God has given us the commandment to follow the golden rule. We do not come with the perspective or the area in our life that we determine, okay, we're going to do unto others before they do unto us. And that's what pride does. Sometimes there's things that go on in our life that somebody's hurt us and boy, we're ready to come right back and be offended at them. We're different. You're different. And that's why the level of maturity that God asks us to walk in demands us to be in the Word of God. And sometimes that's a reflection, that's a gauge on the dashboard that's going off. Warning, warning, when you find yourself easily offended, you're not in the Word of God. You're not walking in the Word of God and being obedient. And it's a reflection. Let me tell you, number three is the problem of priorities. The third reason that keeps people from flourishing 
his priorities. In verse 17 it said, But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment. Now listen, it's almost like he's a little sarcastic here. Now again, maturity is going to come with responsibility. Gentlemen, do you remember you that were in a men's conference or a men's Bible study and we were in the, for some reason the women always get the sanctuary and, you know, we, we go out to, anyway, we're out there and, and it was the, uh, the, the groups of men and, and all of us, the young men were there, the older men, and it says, you know, the group was the uh, adolescent and then the, the man and then, or to grow into manhood and then uh, mentor and then patriarch. And, and they went through what actually moves a man from uh, being an adolescent to a man. In, in the, the video that we're watching, they said, everyone just, it's responsibility. It's responsibility. It's responsibility. And one guy said, yeah, in my church, I tell my young men, you know what women are attracted to? A job! Responsibility. As you grow older and you get the responsibility, gentlemen, do you remember the responsibility of marrying and, and having a job and, and having children? As I've said before, I looked in little Luke's eyes, my first child, and went, oh my, i got to come up. This is what Joshua is telling them. It's time, tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim, to come on up. You're going to have to take responsibility. Listen to what he says in verse 18. But the forced hill country as well. Clear it. Do you hear him? You've got the land, now clear it. I, I love that. They're like, us? Yeah, you're old enough now. Clear it. And its furthest limits will be yours. It, you remember the map, how it went all the way to the Mediterranean? It says that the valley all around it shall be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they're strong, you can drive them out. God's solution for this problem was you need to clear the forest. Can I just tell you, you can't bury the treasure that God has given you, even if you're a one-talent person. That God asks us to take what we have been given and, and bring it out, and it's our responsibility to, to work it. If you want bigger opportunities, if you want better opportunities, then you have to start clearing your forest. Now, now let me say something of a little statement. The Lord will provide the fish, but you have to dig the bait. Do you understand what I mean? There's a lot of people that are sitting on their couch wanting a miracle to take place, but they're not putting any effort to what God has already given them. 
Now, we, we believe in the God of miracles, but we do not expect God to provide miracles every day because we do not live in an area of emergency mode because we're not doing our part. If I didn't pay my bills for six months because I really wanted to do some binge watching on TV, you see what I mean? To, to pray for a miracle, to pay for that house payment? Come on. I think all of us would agree, what? No. But when it comes to our spirituality, if we're not careful, we're doing the very exact same thing. God, why am I in this place? I want bigger and better. And God says, there's things that you're not doing. God's going to increase your capacity if you're willing. Let me give you, before I dismiss, I just want you to see two ways of looking at your priority. How do you prioritize? And, and, and just in this example, first remove the clutter in your life. Have you ever sit down at your desk and you're reaching over stuff trying to work and you're like, ah, uh, and you just got to clean everything before you start? Anybody beside me? There's funny because I'll be on my laptop and sometimes there's stuff in front and I'm going, what am I doing? Remove the the things that clutter your life. It says, the mountain shall be yours, for it is a wood, it is wood, and you will have to cut it down. You're, you're going to have to clear. You're going to have to chop down some trees. Now, I want you to hear this because maybe what's going on in your life, I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but just take this to heart if it's happening to you. There might be some things in your life that you think are harmless. Trees are harmless. Harmless. They're good. I love trees. But if they're in a place that is cluttering your life, in this situation, they're good as long as you don't want to build a house where the trees are. They're wonderful, but if you want to grow a vineyard, it's not going to work with trees. If you want to grow some corn or some wheat, no, trees. If you want to build a road to link up other settlements, but there's trees, it's clutter. Again, trees are harmless. And you have a right to say, there's not enough room in my life for this clutter and it's causing me to prioritize all the things in my life wrong because it just seems like I'm, I'm cluttered. You might make the statements, well, I just don't have enough time to do the things of God. Do you realize how much you do in your life that has nothing to do with God? And if we all wrote down every 30 minutes to an hour of our life, we would realize how much we do that doesn't have God in it at all. But when the subject comes up of anything, we, we don't have enough money. It's the same thing with our money in God. And we don't have enough, we don't have enough time to witness or time to pray. All of it, it's almost an insult to our Lord to say, you know, I don't have time. And I have to believe as a, as a believer, what is going on in my life that's so cluttered with all this other stuff? It might be harmless. 
Can, can I tell you, I'm not preaching about don't watch TV. The one-eyed demon in your house. No. But let me tell you, if, if that's all you do at night, under, let me tell you, I watch TV. But if it, if, if it consumes your life to the point where you say, I can't do the things of God, clutter will keep you influenced thinking that you don't have enough time. Cleared out. Begin to go through and prioritize the things and clear out the, the, the trees, so to speak, that clutter your life. Then the second thing is just remove the things that corrupt our lives. Again, the Canaanites that they favored and the Canaanites they feared began to corrupt their lives. It's the same thing. That we have to realize that sometimes what precedes warfare is worship. And when we get to the point where we realize that God, and I've said it so many times, that when we worship, God inhabits the praises of His people. Do you know what inhabit means? He lives. He shows up. In Texas, June, July, August, first part of September is when people start looking at life a lot different than any other time in the year. It's because of the heat. And some people say, I love the heat. Then why did you have on that devil's mask the other day? Because you let the influence of the climate begin to wear you down. I'm not telling you to move off. But I'm just telling you to be aware of the things that are around us. The, the things that corrupt our life or the things that come into our life that influence us. Well, Pastor, you didn't see that guy flip me off in traffic. I had every right to look at him like, ah! I don't know what fruit of the Spirit that was, but that was not of God. Partial possession, paralyzing pride, wrong priorities. See, if we're not careful, we're not determined to nourish, to flourish. What happens is we say, God, if I could have more, but really we haven't taken care of what God's given us. It's kind of like a dog chasing a truck. He don't know what he's going to do if he caught it. If we get more, we realize that we didn't have the capacity ahead of time to hold it. Here's the thing that was amazing. Is the chariots of iron that they feared were known not to be able to fight in the mountain country. And you know why? Because they get stuck in the mud and different things like that. And here's something that they feared that God put them in the right place at the right time. But all they could see is with natural eyes. This morning, this message was not to discourage anybody, but to have us all look inside. Let me tell you, there, there is nothing that I am not saying that I don't have to deal with in my life. But for us to get from this point in our life to being more able to flourish, even in a time of the heat of Texas, there's going to have to be some maturity, which means responsibility taken on our part as believers. There's a time where our eyes come open and we say, you know what? Come on now, John. Like I have to tell myself, I, 
I can't just go on just Sunday morning. I've got to get in the Word of God. I've got to read the Word of God for myself. It's not a maybe, sometimes. It's a necessity to live in the world that we live in. This year, we're going through a kind of an overview, and it's called the journey. And part of the, the struggle of any journey is doing life together because we are like iron sharpening iron. I, I don't even know, but I bet you this trip, missions trip, great purpose, but they learned things about each other that only they could learn on a trip, a journey together. And you know, some of the hardest things that I've gone through is with people that I love. But those are the relationships that I value the most. And so together as we're doing church and we're doing life and, and we're believing in God to nourish and to flourish, that we have to realize that we can't do it by ourselves. When you wake up on Sunday morning and you say, well, you know, I'm a little tired this week. I'm going to urge you to make an effort, a responsibility to say, you know what, I can do that. During the week when you're trying to live the golden rule and everybody else around you is saying something different than that, you can do it. Because God loves you and empowers you. Everybody sees the problem, but you, you are anointed to solve the problem. Let's pray. Father, you're a good God. Father, you have given us the ability, Father, to see things that maybe other people can't see or are unwilling to see. But God, today we know one thing, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Father, that today as we do life together, that we go through times where we are not aware that we're allowing the enemy to come in in subtle ways and, and build camp. And, and we tolerate, we, we accept, we fear them, but we don't drive them out. Father, allow us today to be more determined, even to be called the determinator. We're more determined than the enemy to do the things that God that you've asked us to do. This morning with your heads bowed. Maybe you've been in this place. And I believe that when Lisa did what we did this morning by allowing just a time of, of prayer and, and coming to the front, I, I believe that was God-ordained. Because sometimes when we go through those seasons where we feel like the Canaanites have just beaten us down, we lose hope. And this morning, if you're here and you've kind of allowed that to kind of wane, that hope, I want to pray for you before you leave. It'll be a whole week before I see you again. That doesn't mean I won't be praying for you, but I want to give you an opportunity. If, if you just need prayer this morning, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. You know, the first... Step is just being honest. As I said, fear is embarrassing. Therefore, we try to hide it. Anybody else? Let's just agree. I, I believe that God's going to set people free today. Anybody else? You just kind of lost hope. You kind of feel like you're walking through shadows. 
You don't know what is happening in your life, but you're tired of it. Anybody else before we pray for freedom? Let's pray. Today, God, that is broken off of these wonderful people. God, that the enemy has come in and spoken lies over their life, trying to get them discouraged, depressed, walk in an anxious emotion. But God, today, I want you to pull back the clouds and show them again, just, God, just a taste of God what you have in store for them. That you have a future, a plan of hope for them, not to harm them. God, that, that when they come, God, they call upon you that you're going to be found. And Father, today I pray that they will remember hope. Hope. God, just like the sunshine coming through the dark clouds, hope is on the horizon for them. Not to give up. Not to quit. Not to confess the negative things out of their mouth. But God, today victory is going to happen in their life. Can you that are in agreement say amen today? Amen. Father, thank you for being able to boldly come before your throne today. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's give God a hand of victory today. Hallelujah. 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 Amen.